Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the dynamic Joe Fordyce. We are getting closer and closer to training camp. It feels like hockey is here. We're seeing players at the facility. So we're going to dive much deeper into the roster and all of the offseason movement made by the Flyers. As we know, it was a busy and active season for general manager Chuck Fletcher, but we can criticize it. We can also praise it, and we're going to do a little bit of both. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. So we figured on today's episode, we're going to look at the off-season move that we liked the most by Chuck Fletcher and an off-season move that we questioned the most by Chuck Fletcher and why. So let's get right into it. Taryn Hatcher, I will start with you with off-season move you liked the most by the general manager. All of them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would would say the Cam Atkinson move. I think that was the the best, not even in the player that Cam is, which I think is could potentially be massive for the Flyers um, in terms of a guy who like hopefully can like just finish um, some goals. Um, but the offloading of Jake's contract for Cam's contract, which is what, like $3 million less a year against the cap, I believe, um, that to me was a win in and of itself, because I thought you were going to have to do a lot more to kind of offload Jake somewhere. And I, I do genuinely enjoy Jake as a person, loved working with him. I do think he brought a lot of positives to the team, but that contract was just going to be really hard to navigate, creating a team moving forward. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that that was my favorite move because it gave potential for other moves that maybe otherwise couldn't have come to fruition. If, if you don't get rid of that extra kind of three mil a year against the cap. Um, but yeah, there were a few, I think you could make a case for quite a few moves. That one to me was the biggest win I thought for the flyers. Yeah. It was really impressive that they were able to move. Jacob Voracek's big cap number and actually get a player in return, the caliber of Cam Atkinson. I, I just didn't see that coming. I mean, look what Shane Gossespair, um, what the Flyers got in return for Shane Gossespair. Nothing. They literally just got his cap relief and they had to send a couple of picks along with Shane Gossespair to the Coyotes just to, just to get that deal done. So I, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a real challenge. I was impressed by that. Uh, Cam Atkinson's a player I think it really helped, Aaron, as you mentioned. So an impressive move for sure. Uh, one of many. Joe, uh, how about you? What were you thinking in terms of your favorite move by Chuck Fletcher? Well, Atkinson's right there. I would say Ryan Ellis is the one that stands out to me, and it might seem obvious, but for a number of reasons. One, the season ended with the Flyers talking about their priority was getting a number one defenseman, and they went out and did that. It was the first move they made 
They clearly said, okay, we need this. And they went and got it. And secondly, I think the fact that they went out and got a guy that can quarterback a power play, I, I'm, I'm not very sure that Ivan Provorov, I don't think a true quarterback of a power play is really what, you know, I don't really think that that is Ivan Provorov's strong suit. So I think the presence of Ellis, assuming they play on the top power play together, will allow Ivan Provorov to be more, to, to let his game be more suited to what he does best. Um, you know, he seems to be a guy that's better when he plays one, on, on one side of the ice on the power play and doesn't navigate around the zone like you see, like you would see your typical quarterback of a power play do. Um, so I, I think for not only the addition of the player, but what it'll do for Provorov and just, you know, the, the depth on defense and, and the, um, the elimination of some of the questions about who is our top pair, um, who can we trust with X, Y, and Z, all those things that have really been up in the air basically since Matt Niskanen left. Although I think Ellis is a better player than Matt Niskanen. So I think you're getting – you're replacing the Matt Niskanen factor and, and then some here. And I think that's the biggest deal because, I mean, as we all saw, as the numbers showed us, as the play on the ice showed us, as everything showed us last year, um, that presence on the blue line was sorely missed. Um, I mean, outside of maybe goaltending, I think it was the most glaring weakness on this team last season. Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I agree. I think I, I liked the Ryan Ellis move the most. And it was one of the bigger moves, too, because obviously they had to give up two players that are already that were already on their roster, were in their lineup just about every game uh, for the most part last season. Two young guys that I think some people are still very high on. Not, I mean, Nolan Patrick was a number two overall pick. Philip Myers was an undrafted guy that worked his way into like a top 50 prospect conversation when he was coming up. So uh, they had to give up a lot to get Ryan Ellis. But I just thought that was the biggest hole. It, it, it might have been one of the biggest culprits uh, last season in terms of why they regressed so poorly was that they just didn't fill the Matt Niskanen void whatsoever. And they did that uh, before anything even started this offseason, before, you know, the draft, uh, before free agency. Um, I thought that was the biggest thing they had to handle. They did. And you get them for a long time, too. Ryan Ellis is under contract. He's a guy with pedigree. He can do everything. I thought that was the reason why they opened the offseason the way they did. And uh, to me, that was the move I liked the most. Um, I was impressed with it from the day one. Even when I looked at it initially and I was like, wow, they gave up, you know, Patrick and Myers. I just still think it was a move they had to do. You know what, Jordan? I, I would say also impressive about these two moves that we've both talked about so far that, that the three of us have discussed here were that these moves were made before free agency via trade to allow more things to happen at free agency. So they were kind of multi-layer moves and the fact that you get the play, the players you get in the trade, and then you have more to be able to bring in the wrist linings and the, and the, the key Yandles and, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the list goes on and on with the other acquisitions they were able to make while also improving their team with trades. It wasn't just about, let's dump this salary, let's dump that salary. They got guys in return. They got players in return. And yeah, they, they had to give up Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers 
players who, you know, down the line made me successful players in this league and to some extent already are. Um, but, you know, nobody's going to give you a top pair defenseman for nothing. It's just not going to happen. So um, I like the not only the player acquisitions, but what else they set up um, by making them. So I thought that was impressive as well. Yeah, and especially with the with the Myers, Nolan, Patrick package trade, I think if you're one of those people in Philly who went from being frustrated with Nolan for not maybe being what they hoped he would become to having a lot of sympathy for a guy who's very clearly dealing with a specific kind of mental and health struggle, I think that trade actually makes you feel better about your team's improvement, but I think it does give you hope for Nolan Patrick and what he can do because that change of scenery and specifically going to Vegas with that coaching staff there and his familiarity with some of the people in-house at that franchise, I think nobody wants, realistically, nobody wants to see somebody go to a different team and do better. It's like seeing an ex thrive. Like you don't really want it, even if you're trying to be diplomatic about it and act like you do. But um, I think if you have compassion for Nolan and his situation, which most Flyers fans, I do genuinely think they developed compassion for the human side of his story. Um, that's a great, that trade makes you feel great on a, on a human being level and on a team improvement level and everything in between. And I, I, I don't know how much Chuck was integral and in like, getting him from Nashville to Vegas in a day where if he knew, or if that was something that had been discussed with Vegas between Chuck and whatever. But when that trade happened, I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, what a win for the flyers. And then when I saw that, that Nolan was then turned to Vegas, I was like, good for him. I think he could actually really do put something together there under that coaching staff and his familiarity there, because he probably needed a change of change of scenery, no matter what it seemed like he really got, in a difficult, difficult rut that was tied into health struggles and, and all kinds of outside of hockey struggles that you hope, you hope for a human being, you, they just don't have to deal with long-term. So that was a win on a different level, I think too. Yeah. I mean, how long have we been talking about Nolan Patrick's future in Philadelphia? If you, if you remember when his migraine disorder was announced to the public, that was September, 2019. So it's been, it's been two years since he's been going through all of this and people really doubting his future, wondering, is he going to make it in Philadelphia? So on and so forth. That has to wear on a kid's mind. And Taryn, I couldn't agree more. I think Vegas could really just be a new star for him, a fresh star. I, I, we've seen Chuck Fletcher. He's very benevolent in the way he general manages. I think he does care about the players that are going out and he tries to find decent situations. Like he's not trying to bury these guys and, um, and, and you've, saw, you've seen it a lot in his moves. Uh, he does care about the guys moving out. And I think this was a, a decent case in point. Obviously, he didn't move into Vegas, but I think they, they were – he had probably had – Discussing no, it on a certain level. Yeah, that, that it was going to be flipped and stuff. So, um, yeah. Um, and I think Vegas could be good in, in the sense that uh, the fan base isn't really frustrated. It's, it, the fan base is new. They've had a lot of winning teams so far in the, in the uh, young stages of the franchise. So – I don't think it's a fan base like Philly where it's a little more pressure filled. Um, so hopefully no one Patrick can go there and, uh, and yeah, have fun playing hockey again. Yeah. And, and Jordan, if you look at the roster of, of Vegas and guys that have played for them, they have guys that I, I would say maybe not exactly like Nolan, you know, previous to their, them playing with Vegas, but you know, you had guys like Mark stone who had a little bit of success elsewhere, but really has come into his own as a player 
with the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, th there's several other guys there. I mean, no one knew who Jonathan Marcheseau was before he was in Vegas, and he's one of their top players. I mean, William Carlson was a third or fourth line player with the San Jose Sharks. They're, they're, you know, I think it's a good opportunity, as you said, for Nolan, because if you think back, even before the migraine disorder, Nolan Patrick's early career has been plagued with many different issues. He had a concussion very early on in his rookie season. So he has yet to play a normal hockey season where he was healthy throughout. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that he made it through this past season healthy, but I don't think anyone would say that this past season was a normal hockey season. Yeah. Um, I don't think he would tell you that he played the way he would like to play. He probably played hesitantly thinking about the uh, a possible recurrence of an injury or things like that. So, you know, he's probably looking for some normalcy in terms of a hockey season at this point as well. Yeah. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Well, let's shift gears. Let's look at a move that we questioned the most. A move that maybe we did not like, maybe we still don't like, or one that we just see has a lot of risk um, compared to reward. Taryn Hatcher, I will start with you. A move that you didn't like as much this offseason. Okay, under your definition, I don't know that it actually is any of these. Um, but, uh, and I probably have some recency bias here because I just interviewed Morgan Frost the other day, one-on-one, -on -one, and um, he was great. And he, look, look, we're talking through Zoom. It's hard to know. I have not seen him in person. I know you saw him at development camp and Jordan's kind of my plug into everything that's going on there because seats are limited, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Morgan looks bigger. Morgan looks much more filled out. He looks a lot stronger just through zoom. 
um, like shoulders, upper body. And I was talking to him about it and he was like, listen, realistically, I know like physically I have to be more capable coming into the NHL. And you may be thinking the question was about moves. Why are you talking about a player that flies have had for years that was in development camp? But for me, it's about the Derek Broussard move. Okay. I have, I question it the most because while I understand it, I think it makes it that much harder potentially for Morgan to break in. And I would love for Morgan to be ready to break in to get some time and get comfortable. And I think if he does that, then all of a sudden you're talking about like Derek Broussard coming, becoming like a somewhat healthy scratch every so often kind of guy. And Nate Thompson also maybe being a a consistently healthy scratch kind of guy. And and like, it just, to me, it's kind of like, all right, maybe we're getting too many cooks in the kitchen here when it comes to centermen and development and everything in between. Um, Cause I had asked Morgan about, you know, everybody wants you to be a top six kind of guy and very clearly it's Coots and it's Kevin. So I don't know where you fall in there. How would you feel about being bottom six, et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, listen, I'm doing everything I can to play period. Like I, I know what people say. I'm just trying to prepare myself. If they need me at third line center. I'm going to be okay playing third line center. And I'm, and I'm going to get good at playing third line center. Problem is, is now you brought in another center man. And where, where are you going to make things work? Um, I don't think Derek was a bad pickup. I think he was a good pickup. I just made, it gives me other questions in other places because you want Morgan Frost to pan out. Realistically, people want to see Morgan Frost pan out and he's got a skill set that you want to see pan out at the NHL level. So, and again, like I said, it's recency bias because I just talked to Morgan the other day and I was like, I'm really pulling for this kid. He's a really good guy. And like, he's working really hard. Um, but that, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest question mark where I was sort of like everything else made sense. And that was kind of like the outlier where I was like, you know, maybe you didn't have to do that, but not a bad move. Just kind of, it's like, it's like when you look at somebody's outfit and like, there's just one thing that's not bad, but it's just like maybe a little too much. You're like, (laughs) maybe don't wear the sunglasses with the hat and the scarf and the bracelet. Just take the bracelet off or something, you know, got a lot of weird analogies going in today's podcast. It's a Friday things are happening. Anyways, that's my pick. No, well, Darren. you know, it's Taryn. And I would say too, like the move is because you said, like you, you phrased it best and the outlier. I think all of us, I mean, it seemed like everything was over and then all of a sudden they got Derek Broussard and not only do you get Derek Broussard, but when I think when all of us saw that that was the move, Derek Broussard is not really the kind of player you just signed to maybe make the team maybe play his history with Elaine Vigneault would tell you that maybe Derek had some assurances by Elaine and the coaching staff that he was going to play. And, you know, it's, it's almost like um, you kind of, you don't want to see a guy, you bring in Derek Broussard to play in my opinion. And I think that as Taryn said, that directly affects Morgan Frost more so than any other player in the system. Um, So, you know, you start thinking, do they know something about Morgan? We don't. Do they think maybe Morgan's game is not as far along as it should be? And that's why you needed to bring in Derek Broussard. Because a guy like Nate Thompson is a guy you can bring in and out of a lineup. 
I think Nate signs expecting that he he's a fourth line player. He's a checking line player. He's one of those guys. I don't think Derek Broussard is that he is a veteran in this league, a lot of playoff experience with a lot of good teams and experience with this head coach. I don't think he's coming here to, to sit in, in the balcony and, and, you know, be a healthy scratch. Yeah. And I think the Flyers are in a pretty, uh, peculiar spot because you know we can talk about all we want oh it's a one-year deal for this guy it's a one-year deal don't worry and I have been a guy that's been saying that I do like that they are one-year deals with the Keith Yandles uh the Martin Joneses the Derek Broussards but if your kids are playing really well and look like they can help you now and then suddenly you have a veteran on a one-year deal and maybe you do need help in your lineup because they're not performing then you have kind of an ugly scenario throughout the season where yeah, maybe the coaching staff is forced to sit a veteran guy, the caliber or, the caliber or a guy with the pedigree of a Broussard or a Keith Yandel. I mean, Keith Yandel is chasing an NHL record for games played in a row. Like, that's a tough decision. And the Flyers did put themselves in that spot. Whereas if their kids are shining and knocking on the door and you have veterans maybe that are maybe on the, on the back end of their career not performing, tough decisions that you're going to have to go up to a veteran and say, hey, we're sitting you. It's going to be a tough spot. I, I don't think anyone should think lightly of that. I think that w- those will be tough decisions. I, I would I would go so far as to say, I think if it comes down to it, they won't, they'll sit Justin Braun. I don't think they'll touch yeah. the handle. Especially after the out the outrage of what happened last year when there was the potential to break Keith Yandel's Ironman streak. Like it, I thought the entire hockey community was going to come down on the Florida Panthers when that was like even tossed around. Um, I, I would, I wouldn't be shocked at AV knowing like how confident he is in what he does, but I, I would just be shocked in, in that, like Justin Braun is nice and solid, but I think if you, if you're going to get like a Cam York, who's high motor, high energy, ready to go, whatever you're willing to maybe sacrifice a few nights of Justin Braun to, to see that and see how that looks. I would be surprised if it's Yandel though. That that'll be the interesting thing to watch is is if the Flyers are going to be the team that really does oh. that to keep. Yandel. Oh, I'd be I'd be shocked if he's a healthy stretch and before that record is broken. Um, and then, as Joe mentioned, Derek Broussard definitely probably has some promises. I mean, he said there was a team out west that offered him more money, and he chose here for a reason. I don't think that was to be like, okay, maybe I get in the lineup. He's probably going to know that he, he's got a spot there. Uh, he's going to have to play super poorly to be taken out. So you are, in a way, blocking two prospects, uh, at least to start the season. But I will say, you think about it, Morgan Frost, uh, the season 2019-20 was paused. He went into the bubble with the Flyers, did not play a game. Then, obviously, it took a little while for the next season to get going, played two games, was hurt. So he's played, like, two pro games since really like the March 2020-ish time. I'm okay that the Flyers did what they did uh, because I think they were a little worried. If they had an injury early in the season, Morgan Frost might be their next guy up. Would he be physically ready? Would he be ready, period, just to be thrown into an NHL game, maybe give him more time to get comfortable at the AHL level? I I, want to ask you guys this. Joe, I'll start with you. I personally wouldn't be mad at all if Cam York and Morgan Frost played the entire season with the Phantoms. Um, they're playing well down there and developing. I'm okay with it as long as things are going well for the Flyers up here. Yeah, I I would agree with you. And I was just about to say, you can't bring either of those guys here and have them sit in the balcony. 
No. Can't be. They have to play. So I think these two moves that we're talking about are made in directly because these two prospects we're talking about have to play games. They can't sit in the press box and watch games. They just can't. They're too young. They need to develop their games, and they're not going to develop it by watching a game in the balcony. Um, they need to play with the Phantoms. And I, I agree. Um, you made these two moves for two guys that not only they're durable players, obviously with Yandel, and Broussard has shown himself to be such through his career. You, These guys are guys you can rely on to be in the lineup every night. So I think that this is – these moves are directly – tied to Cam York and Morgan Frost playing the whole season with the Phantoms. I, I just, I, I don't think there's any other way to look, you know, to look at these things. Yeah. I think an injury would have to really force the Flyers hands in terms of pulling those kids up and getting them in. And I wouldn't rule that out. Injuries happen and these players are older. So, um, but I think in an ideal world, the Flyers want those two kids down there developing with the Phantoms, getting games and uh, being ready for when their name is called. Joe, well, uh, let's go back to you. Move that you maybe question the most. Um, I'm sure maybe it ties back to exactly what we were just talking about. Um, or no. I, it actually doesn't. I, I, I brought this up on the podcast um, with you when this happened. Um, I'm going to say Martin Jones. I, 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 um, I don't – and maybe it's a little bit of, um, for lack of a better term, scar tissue from the amount that the Flyers have relied on their backup goaltender – in recent seasons. Um, I feel like if they have to rely on their backup goaltender in, in any elevated capacity, they might be in some trouble with Martin Jones. Um, I feel like he peaked a number of years ago. He's, he's struggled since. Um, Brian Elliott was very serviceable. Um, I don't, I'm sure he didn't expect to play as much as he played last season. But he filled in admir admirably, and the Flyers needed him to. Um, and I just feel like they have gone and gotten a lesser guy as their backup. And, you know, there's that old football analogy that the backup quarterback doesn't matter until he does. I feel like the same can be said for the, the backup goaltender. Um, but the backup goaltender is a little more important than the backup quarterback because the backup quarterback – in an ideal world, gets no reps during the, during the regular season unless the team's up or down very big. The backup goaltender needs to spell the starting goaltender. And Carter Hart's a goaltender who we know when we went on with him last year, he struggled. Also, he has not played a regular 82-game season yet. He got called up in the middle of the season. The second season he was up was interrupted by COVID. And, of course, last season was the shortened season, also affected by COVID. COVID. So he has yet to play an 82-game schedule. So I don't know if we really know how much Carter Hart needs to be spelled by the backup goaltender. And I'm just – I'm not super confident in Martin Jones as the backup. So that was definitely the move that had me going, okay, and maybe Elliot, Brian Elliott spoil us a little bit with a backup goaltender because he really – with his level of play, uh, really the last couple seasons, he could have been a starting goaltender for a lot of teams in this league. So that's the one that kind of had me, you know, had the eyebrows go up. Like, 
okay, this is not what I was expecting as their plan to back up Carter Hart. Yeah, it was so funny how we went into last season thinking for once goalies are not um, the biggest topic of conversation. Well, I think they're going to be a pretty big one going into this season after what Carter Hart went through last year. And yeah, where Martin Jones is in his career. Um, Taryn, do you feel like maybe the Martin Jones move won't be as big as long as Carter Hart plays up to his uh, potential? Yeah, I think um, the thing with Martin Jones that'll be interesting is that you, so you want Carter's to surpass expectations, especially after last year, the bar got set kind of low. Um, but Martin's played like quite a f- multiple 60 plus game campaigns. You know, he's going to want to go somewhere and be a 60 plus game goaltender. If not this season, he probably understands that won't happen this season. And based off his last few seasons, it shouldn't happen this year, but he probably wants to use this season to go find another place that he can go be a 60 plus game, really number one starting goaltender again, Um, which makes you think like, all right, is it worth doing this for now to sacrifice for later? Because you might have to play a platoon again if Carter doesn't play well. And this guy is capable of being a number one. And yes, he has not played particular. His numbers haven't been great the past few seasons, but to be fair, the numbers for the teams that he were playing for were pretty poor as well. So um, you, I think the, the pitfall with Martin Jones kind of comes in that because I, I, Listen, I think personally, based off of things I heard, things I know, I would love to see someone that really pushes Carter for like, not really threatens him for the number one spot. It is clearly his, especially after they signed his contract extension this year, this off season. Um, but I, w- I would really like to see Carter pushed. I would like Carter to get uncomfortable being number one. I would like for him to feel like there is a fire under him to really become number one. And I think Martin will do that. And that's not to call Carter lazy or anything in between. I just think, I think that first year when he came up, there was every day was living up to this, this, he was trying to live up to this standard every day. That first season, every single day, he was trying to prove that he's an NHL goalie. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next year is, is wonky and weird. And he really struggles on the road the next year but he has Brian Elliott to bail him out. And Brian Elliott played very well on the road that 2019, 2020 season, which was then shortened by COVID. Um, And then this last year, I know everything was very, very weird, but again, when he wasn't playing well, he had Brian Elliott to bail him out also with the understanding that Brian Elliott was probably never going to truly challenge to be like a long-term number one goaltender flyers. It was very much still his seat. And I, I think you would like to see Martin maybe, just uh, just heat the seat a little bit and be like, hey, if you can't play well, I'm going to go out here and play well and maybe stir up some questions in people's mind because I think Carter responds well to competition. I just do. I think that's why he's been so elite as, you know, playing in world juniors as a kid against the best competition. And when he came up with the Flyers at first, it was a challenging competition. I think that last year, this is weird to say. I think last year the competition factor in the entirety of the NHL kind of lacked for a lot of teams because you're not playing the NHL schedule you're used to. It was such a strange year. There's not fans. It almost felt like every – I don't want to speak on behalf of players when I say this. I'll only speak as a broadcaster who's been in an empty arena. 
it feels like it's a dress rehearsal game, like all the time. There's a weird, there was a weird layer of like, this almost doesn't feel like it's really happening. And now I think you're going to get that back anyway with some of the COVID restrictions that have been lifted. And I think even day to day, there's going to be a real competition of this guy wants to be a starting goaltender. He wants to prove to somebody he's a starting goaltender, whether it's the Flyers or not. And that means that Carter has to prove that he is the Flyers starting goaltender as well. Um, Because realistically, we've seen Elaine Vigneault is not afraid to be a little bit ruthless in order to win. Carter's not playing well. Even I think even if people of a year, like we would really like to see Carter try to get back into this game. He's going to be like, I would really like to see this team in the playoffs. So we're going to play the hot hand and uh, I hope it's Carter. I think it will be Carter, but you, I, I like that there's someone pushing it, but it was another one where I looked at it and I was like, there are some risks with this guy. So I get, I agree with what Joe is saying. I also see, I don't know. I kind of like that he's a little bit younger. He's a little bit more, I think he's a little bit more hungry for more ice time, more air time than Brian Elliott was. Brian Elliott's a real good, you know, 50-50 complimentary guy. I don't think Martin Jones wants to compliment anybody. I think Martin Jones wants to be the guy. And that could be good for the Flyers and for Carter this year, but it could could not be great for the Flyers come next year when they have to find another goaltender. So we'll see. Yeah, again, guys, like I said, I, th- I think we were spoiled by Brian Elliott. You had a guy here who could step in and play like a starter and never said anything about how he wanted to be a starter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if you need me to play four games in a row, I'll play four games in a row. If you need me to not play for a week and a half, I'll not play for a week and a half. And I won't say boo about it. And then I'll come in and I'll play to the level that he played last season. I mean, you could say we got spoiled by him. And as I mentioned at the beginning, maybe this, maybe me choosing Martin Jones as this for this particular topic is a little bit of scar tissue left over from how much the Flyers have actually relied on their backup goaltender in recent uh, times. Yeah, and, and to even piggyback off of that, like we would ask Brian Elliott a, a lot about Carter Hart. It was just natural. Like Carter Hart is the franchise goalie and he was going through tough times, good times. Like how does Brian Elliott mentor him? So we asked him a lot about hit, about Carter Hart and not a lot about Brian Elliott. And he still took that in stride, was always like thoughtful uh, and gave us great answers. So yeah, I, I think Brian Elliott, I think um, Flyers fans will look back and, and think of him fondly. I think they should. Uh, for me, uh, Taryn and Joe, I'm going to go a little different. I'll touch on one that we haven't. Um, I'm going to say the Rasmus Ristolainen trade. Um, I- I'm a fan of it. I do like Rasmus Ristolainen. I think he can be better in Philadelphia. I do think um, his numbers and his play, a lot of it was a byproduct of being in Buffalo and all the turnover the Sabres have gone through. I do think there's still upside that he's still tapping into. But the risk is definitely high. There's no doubt about that. It might've been the highest risk move Fletcher made this off season. I mean, you give up a first round pick this year, you give up a second round pick uh, in 2023. Um, and then also uh, you give up a player in Robert Hag. So you give up two picks, a player for a guy that did not have pretty numbers in Buffalo and he's on the final year of his contract. So I don't want to, put this bad omen on the Flyers Rasmus Ristolainen. I don't even know the guy that well. 
But say he is not good at all for the Flyers, say he, he looks more like the guy in Buffalo, then the Flyers have a real decision of like, hey, do we want to resign this guy? Um, and look what look at what we gave up for him too. So I think there is a window there where maybe the deal could you could look back on and say, wow, that was a bad trade. Uh, we gave up a lot in terms of picks. We gave up a player for a one year of a guy that, you know, we didn't really know who he was yet. Um, I'm not saying it's going to go that way. I actually do like Ristolainen. I think he can do good things in Philadelphia. I think he brings things that the Flyers were missing, but I do think there is that risk there. The other risk with that too is if Ristolainen is good here and the Flyers are not a contender, you could see Ristolainen come and go real quick in Philadelphia. And I think I think a lot of times, I think there is very every time, and I know some guys just say stuff to say stuff, but off camera, you do get a, a more genuine feel for players. I haven't talked to Rasmus yet, but I've talked to plenty of guys who have come into the organization. And um, as much as sometimes Philly gets this reputation for chasing athletes out in other sports, they very much have the opposite um, kind of vibe when it comes to hockey. A lot of guys like to play here. They want to play here. They like this organization. They like the history. They like how into it Philadelphia sports fans are because not every market gets great hockey fans and Philly really does. Um, and so I think sometimes the flyers with these contracts, I, I wonder, at least I don't really think this based on anything. I wonder if they think if the team is good enough, this is a place people like to stay. So even if they're only on a one year, we can get them to come back. Um, I just wonder if Rasmus can show, hey, Buffalo did me dirty and I actually am very good and I would like to win a Stanley Cup. If, if all this work Chuck has done doesn't make this team a more serious contender, I wonder if he'll be like, I have, I have played on bad teams for a long time and I don't want to play one more season on a bad team. I don't think that for this, this team will be, I think this team will actually be a very good hockey team, but um, I could see Rasmus being like, I paid my dues and I have struggled <laughs> and I want to go win. So that'll be interesting as well. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I think Chuck Fletcher made the trade was Taryn, what you alluded to, I think they are bullish on their environment. I think they believe they're going to be good this season. I think they believe they have some of the best coaches in the league and that they can make these players better in their environment. So I think they're, they're believing they can convince Rasmus Ristolainen and that he will be better here and he will want to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, because Chuck Fletcher did say if he was going to trade the first-round pick, he wanted it to be a player that was going to impact them in the short and long term. Well, one year, Rasmus Ristolainen would not be the long term. So they are definitely hoping that they're better this year and they can bring him back. And then I think they believe they can probably recoup the, what they lost in the 2023 second round pick that's obviously not next year's draft it's the following so maybe they feel eventually they can they can get a pick back in future deals um but you know a lot of risk there for sure and uh we'll have to see what type type of player Ristolainen is I mean if you look at what in his career in Buffalo in eight seasons his on ice goal differential even strength was minus 151 and the Flyers are hoping they can prevent goals this year. They didn't do it last season. And you're, you're bringing in a guy that hasn't proven that he can really prevent goals. But maybe that was a product of the Sabres. We'll have to wait. I can't watch another 6-3 yeah. loss. And, I cannot yeah. watch it. I cannot. <laughs> and, and Jordan, if you remember back what Scott Hartnell told us right when that move was made, and we had him on the podcast here, about the mentality of a player who gets traded from a team who has been 
quite frankly, the director of the league for the better part of a decade or more now at this point. Um, I mean, I remember the Buffalo Sabres when I was a kid. It was Alexander Mogilny and Pat LaFontaine, and they were one of the they were one of the upper echelon. I mean, they weren't great. They haven't won a Stanley Cup or anything like that, but they were um, a very respected franchise. I mean, the mid-90s video games, uh, the NHL 94s and 96s that a lot of people in my generation talk about all the time. Buffalo was one of the hot teams because of guys like Mogilny and LaFontaine. That really hasn't been the case in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. You, you look back and you see a lot of missed draft picks. Um, I mean, people get on the Edmonton Oilers for how many draft picks in a row they had that were number one overall or near the top and, and kind of didn't pan out. I think you make the argument the Buffalo Sabres are right there, if not worse. So when Scott talked about the mentality of a guy who almost gets set free uh, from an environment like that, they could be a totally different player. Um, because I, I can tell you right now that the, the stat you just mentioned about the one ice gold differential, a guy like Scott, I think would say, okay, well, who, who was he playing with and who was the goaltender? Yep. And I got to tell you, it would be a challenge to list the goaltenders that have played for the Buffalo Sabres in the last, uh, during Ristolainen's career, let's say. Linus Olmark. There right. you go. Well, like, Linus Allmark like, looked like a world beater against the Flyers. Every he time did. He I was going to say, so, I will never forget the name Linus Allmark because it was like. And was, Robin Leonard was there Is this guy like going to become like Mark andre right. Fleury in front of our eyes? Like what is happening right now? I don't. This is Andre then, Vasilevsky against the Flyers. Every single time we played Buffalo, I was like. And I believe one time this year, if you, if you remember, uh, Karen and Jordan, Linus Allmark, I believe, was out of the lineup because of a family issue. And mm -hmm. a guy that I straight up have never heard of, and I do not remember his name right now, came in and played like Andre Vasilevsky also <laughs> that particular night. I remember before the pregame show, we were trying to find what the guy's name was. Yeah. yeah. We're like, wait it a minute. Matt, who's starting Matt this something, game? maybe? I was trying to think of the maybe. name. I think it John. was. <laughs> yeah. John, Luke, Matthew, Christopher, Paul. Let's just start naming disciples. It's got to be one of them, right? Let's no, I, I'm trying to remember because it was their, their other. Was Carter Hutton their other goalie, I think, wasn't available? Carter no, Hutton wasn't no, available. Or maybe Venus was wasn't available. And then I'm trying to think of who their, like, go-to third guy was. Like, their Alex Lyon, and he wasn't available either. This was, like. Okay. Like. Like if I remember, I don't <laughs> think that the guy—I don't think the guy had played in an NHL game in three years. Okay. If, if I'm trying to, re if I, if I'm getting my no-name goalies who dominate the Flyers mixed up. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like his name was like Matthew Carpenter, but now I'm thinking of like Jesus was a carpenter and Matthew was a disciple because I made that joke and I can't get it out of my brain. I don't think his name was Matthew Carpenter, but was it Moses? No. Um... <laughs> No, it was, it was actually Cain and Abel and uh, his brother, Job plays for the San Jose Sharks. Let, well, let's this be really took a turn guys. I'm sorry. It it's did. It just, did. well, I, I will just say that, that, um, you know, that kind of, uh, that's the kind of stuff you look at, like how, how, how long would it take us to come up with all the Buffalo goaltenders that have played and started during Ristolainen's career, it would be a challenge. I mean, yeah, Robin Leonard 
was a decent goalie and he left Buffalo. Yeah. Um, Linus Allmark at times has shown that he can be a decent goaltender. But beyond those two goalies, I mean, how many guys are we naming? Yeah. It's not like they've had stalwarts in net. And also, who has Ristolainen played with? Because I know, you know, Rasmus Dahlin was a number one overall pick. I don't know that he's really arrived in this league yet. And other than Dahlin, who, who are we looking at, um, you know, that's that's playing along with Ristolainen? It, it's, it's a bad situation. And, you know... Again, when you talk about a guy leaving a situation like that and going to a new situation, I would defer to the former player and just kind of what is that like? And Scott told us, you know, it's it's almost, you know, it's it's like a get out of jail free card almost. Yeah. And, and because of all that turnover and instability. Rasmus Ristolainen probably played a lot of meaningless games and he, and something that stuck out to me when we talked to him when he was acquired was he said I, he, he felt like he was a playoff player. He thinks he's a playoff player, and he hasn't been able to do that once in Buffalo, not in eight seasons, probably played in very few playoff races, um, and that bothered him, I think. And he's a guy that I think would be really fun to watch in big games with fans, playoff atmospheres, because I think he feels he, he's meant for the playoffs, and that's something that I'm eager to see if the Flyers are in the race and are making the playoffs what can he, is he a guy that really gets up for the bigger games and plays his best when it matters? Maybe, maybe playing in meaningless games in Buffalo year after year, maybe that just wore on him. Um, I, I, I think this is uh, I think, was it Jonas Johansson or Eunice Johansson? Is that That's who it was? This guy? Yeah. I'm trying to go through their roster now and remember, and I'm looking at the names and I still can't remember. And there's no one named Matthew Carpenter. So I was talking about and if I were you, Taryn, don't ask a Sabres fan because they probably don't remember either. Either, no. Um, just like us. And that tells you a lot about the Sabres and what they went through last season and some of their players. Although the Flyers are just two years removed from their, like, goalie carousel season, so we can't really judge too much, can no, we? we can't. Flyers played eight goalies, like you said, Taryn, not long ago. They oh, gave up yeah. more goals than any other team in hockey last season, so. We literally had a graphic of a carousel, like, yeah. And just different goaltenders just on their pasted onto the little horses. And I was like, this is <laughs> remember the name Cal Cal Pickard? Yeah. Cal Pickard. You know you and... remember Cal Pickard. Oh yeah. <laughs> Michael Neuver. And I'm Michael trying to think who else Alex Lyon played well, that they season. Had, it was Mike McKenna, right? Yeah. Mike um, McKenna played who, that season. Um, I remember Mike because Cam Talbot because... played that season. Yeah. Yeah. Man. That was that was an and they interesting. Had, um, what was the year? They had why am I blanking on his name? That uh, he was a Red Wing, and that then he played for Carolina after the Flyers. And I'm Peter blanking Mraz on his name. Peter Morazic. Morazic. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. What a year. Yeah. Well, yeah what a time. And if we, if we're even having fun, like not that we're having fun, like putting down the Sabers, but I think the Sabers outscored the Flyers last year in the regular season head-to-head -head series. So tell us a lot about. Yes, they did. A lot about where the Flyers were. We probably shouldn't even be acting like, um, you know, the Sabers are nowhere. I haven't said anything. This is all you, Jordan. That's I've true. not said anything. That is true. These are all NHL teams, and we do believe the Flyers are going to be a lot better this season. They should be with this off season. Um, I'm a believer in it. I think they will be a lot better, and I think they should be vying for the playoffs. Uh, and we just talked about a lot of reasons why. Uh, I hope they change their goal song to the Monkeys. I'm a believer. <laughs> and I saw her face. 
know, okay, I'm done. But the Shrek version. Karen, the Shrek, as long as from the Shrek soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. And, and as long as you do that dance after wins as we go to post game live, you should be the Carlton? Yes. You know, it's not, dance, it wouldn't, folks, be, a, stays right it wouldn't here. be a bad idea to, to get a uh, you know, a cheesy older song as the goal song. I think about the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall and Oates is their goal song, which I, I find should... awesome. Except for Toronto as a team has crushed has crushed the hopes and dreams of an entire generation of Canadian yes. folk. So I don't yeah. know that that was really the right song for them to choose. <laughs> Just a change of pace from the uh, the loud, you know, metal-ish type songs that te- seem to be the... Uh... Is this a shot at Feel the Shake, Joe? I'm not a big Feel the Shake fan. I do love, uh, I, I, to me, the Chicago one never gets old. The uh, Chelsea Dagger. Chelsea Dagger, yeah. I've heard the Rangers one in person too. That one's real catchy, I will say. Uh, I, I've enjoyed that one. But um, anyway, well, well, I think Flyers fans are hoping they're going to be hearing a lot of goal horns, uh, a lot of goal songs. Um, and we just discussed why that could happen. We'll, we will have to wait and see. But training camp is getting here, and we did, we're going to continue to break down everything going into camp and uh, get Flyers fans set for the 2021-22 season. But Taryn Hatcher, Joe Flores, thank you so much as always. This was fun, great seeing and chatting with you both. A big thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast guru. And Flyers fans, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.